Pro football player Travis Kelsey is pressed for time during the football season. So he does two things at once. Whether it's grilling while mowing. Two things at once! Or getting this season's updated COVID-19 shot at the same visit as his flu shot. Two things at once. You can be like Travis and ask your pharmacist about getting this season's COVID-19 shot at the same visit as your flu shot, if you're due for both, as recommended by the CDC. Learn more and schedule at VaxAssist.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. Need quality and accessible health care at a minimal cost? Get Antidote Health. We offer individual and family plans with zero co-pays for online doctor visits 24-7, pediatric visits, mental health care, and more. Some plans even have a cashback benefit, and you'll get access to top-tier providers like Cleveland Clinic. Open enrollment has started, so sign up today at antidotehealth.com slash start. Dollar copays and cashback not available on all services or prescription drugs. Consult your plan for more information. You are now listening to the Going Deep Podcast with your hosts, Kevin Massari and Mike Bunt, live from the Cover One Sports Network. Here we go. Welcome into another edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Masseri, here with Mike Bunt to go through another Jacksonville matchup, the first one in quite some time, as well as recap a dominating victory by the Buffalo Bills, one where it was said to be the game of the Early year, uh, the Bills definitely took care of business there, Mike, 48 to 20. We're welcome, uh, welcoming a Jags guest here shortly, so we're going to get into that. But this show is brought to you by www.sonsofeerie.com. Get all of your best artwork for some of the best stuff I've ever seen, www.sonsofeerie.com. Make sure you check it out, uh, and you can check out all their amazing uh, posters that you see behind me and amazing canvases and frame stuff, too. Some of my some of the best artwork around. Mike, first and foremost, as we before Jags talk, tell us how you're feeling. I mean, how can I not be feeling great right now? The Bills are coming off three blowout victories. They just shut up the Miami Dolphins entire fan base. The national media is back to loving them, calling them one of the Super Bowl favorites and the best team in the AFC again. So it seems like we're back to normal times, Kevin. After this crazy offseason of stupid narratives and just all-around stupidity, we're back into normal Bills world where they are once again considered one of the top teams in football. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's been a crazy situation. Uh, one, I, I actually I told I said this on the show, and I said this a couple times. I'm never scared of offensive teams. It never scares me. I think we have the wild card and coaching factor, especially unless it's Pat Mahomes because he's special, especially late in the year. Pat Mahomes. The Bills have the X factor in Sean McDermott. What he's able to do. Yes, he's faltered in 13 seconds, but outside of that, they've called pretty good game plans, including against Joe Burrow in a situation to where their offense uh, was really the big issue last season uh, with just too many injuries and too many emotional uh, 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 impact from that game. But other than that, Sean McDermott is great defensively. Uh, He can shut down with the best of them, Mike, and I think that that's utterly been proven. Uh, Can he finally put it together in the postseason? That's what we're going to have to wait and see in January to see how that looks. But the metrics coming out of that game, Mike, are all super good. 70, uh, 75% chance that they uh, not only uh, can win the division and a 40% chance at the one seed. Those numbers, I know it's week four, but those are sky high for week four. Doesn't mean a ton. 
but it's crazy that the metrics would say that, especially with so many games remaining, uh, that there is really some good things to look forward to. And I do believe this should be another year where the Bills at least should have multiple home games in the playoffs. And they've proven it, and they've been able to do it. And Josh is getting himself uh, ready for these. Uh, probably another AFC Player of the Week, Mike, and just pure dominance by Josh Allen. And and look, I want to talk about the Jags today. We're going to get them in early. We'll talk about everything we heard uh, from, from the Jag side of things, and then we will bounce in and talk uh, Dolphins, some metrics coming out of that game, some things I like. Then maybe we'll talk about some matchups in this Jags game. But uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing this 2-2 two two Jags team. Some metrics across the board aren't overly well. I would thought their offense would have been toward the top of the league. It's really toward the bottom of the league. So I want to dive into some of those things. Uh, and they do have uh, some interesting uh, lineup decisions that they're going to make here. Missing their middle linebacker, going with Chad Muma. We're going to ask that and more uh, from, from our Jags guest here shortly. But Mike, before we get him up, how are you feeling as you approach London? Are you feeling good about leaving Thursday evening? Like, any thoughts around the way that they just wrapped that emotional win up against the Dolphins? Going to leave on a Thursday night. Tell us how you're feeling as you have to kind of get on the plane, make that long trip. We were trying to do the math yesterday, probably around six hours uninterrupted from Buffalo. Um, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I, th I thought Miami was going to be one of the toughest games on the Bills' early part of the schedule this year. Jacksonville going into the season I thought might be another one. But after seeing them the first four games of the season, I just don't have uh, the same level of respect for Jacksonville that I had before the season. I still think they could be a playoff team that could win the AFC South, but I don't think they're uh, in the tier or really even close to uh, the tier that the Bills are in right now. Uh, could they win this game? Absolutely they can. We saw them defeat the Bills a couple years ago when they were a much worse team. Obviously, they've been in London for the past week. Uh, the Bills are going to be heading there on Thursday, like you said. So there could be some travel issues. Uh, could the Bills overlook them? I don't think so, but I guess crazier things have happened. But I said before the season, when you look at the first eight games of the year, that's the Bills' opportunity to go 7-1, and one, probably no worse than 6-2. and two. And right now I'm looking at this schedule, how it's breaking down after defeating the Dolphins. And I think 7-1 and one is right in front of the Bills right now. If they find a way to get past Jacksonville – I do not see a scenario where they're losing to the Giants, the Patriots, or the Buccaneers. So this is the toughest game of the next four. They can find a way to get a W on Sunday. You're looking at a very, very strong uh, start to the season, heading into the more difficult uh, part of the schedule. And, and we'll talk a bunch about this Miami game uh, later in the show, like you said, but a lot of encouraging things to come out of that on both sides of the ball. Uh, the only Big disappointment, obviously, is is losing Tredavious White for the rest of the year. But we'll even address how we think the Bills uh, will handle that situation from a roster perspective and uh, on the field later in this uh, later in this show. Yeah, I think that the the hotel saga is you got first dibs added as the home team. That's why that they have to uh, the Jags do have to move their hotels. So I do believe the home team gets their choice of which hotel uh, and whatever reason. I guess that's the home team hotel uh, preferred preferred. So I think that's more of a situation than any any other um, factor in that. As that's what I was told. So as you uh, kind of look through to this game, I like the theory of. Uh, flying on Thursday. I think you want as much normalcy as possible. I believe uh, I read some data on the travel thing. It's either go super duper early to adjust 
or it's don't mess with your schedule as much as possible because that's just as good for your body. So I think that the Bills, obviously, whatever science and a planning team, as McDermott said, uh, utilize the latter to leave Thursday evening. Uh, so Von Miller said in his uh, in his stream today. Also, Von Miller said if he's a gambling man, he will be suiting up for this 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 game. He's been wrong many times, but those were about personnel decisions in terms of if the Bills are going to sign a receiver or not. Uh, apparently the Leonard Floyd thing was all him. So you got to give him a W on that. Um, and he was supposed to play at the end of last year. He did not anticipate his knee being carved into and finding the ACL as well as the meniscus. So that one, we got to give him a slight pass on that was, you know, inside medically, but I would think part of this with Von Miller, Mike, as, as we, uh, wait for their, uh, talk Jags for this game is, that he's able to play in this. I, I think that there was some arrangement with Bean that he said, hey, give up, give us an extra four. We're going to put you on the roster as soon as possible. It's officially three weeks, so it will be no later than uh, week seven, just due to math. So, you know, I've heard eight, I've heard nine, I've heard November. Those are all inherently false. Um, at latest, it is after week seven. Um, that is by by rule, that is the latest that it could be anyways. Uh, so I always heard that it was going to be on the shorter end of it. I mean, that's what he's telling people. Um, you know, we know Vaughn, it's not always a hundred percent with this stuff, but if the bill, if he's ready and he's ready for a situational role, at least to take the Kingsley as, as well as Kingsley Jonathan's played, at least takes the Kingsley Jonathan snaps as well as a few from Shaq and maybe one or two here elsewhere to help him ramp up. I'm completely fine with that. I, it's no one saying we're pressing him, but I think he needs to see these snaps so that he's ticking on all cylinders to ramp back up to a 60, 50, 60, 70% snap log by the time those in the late November games uh, uh, approach. I've always been in that camp. If he is, uh, uh, if he is cleared medically that you should let the player play. Is, is that kind of where you stand, Mike? Yeah. I want to take it slow with Vaughn. Obviously the, the key is to have him for the postseason, not games in the middle of October. It was nice while we had him for the first half of the season last year, but you saw in the playoffs without a guy like Von Miller, this defense was was toast at times against Cincinnati. So, uh, however slow they need to take it to ramp him up, I'm fine with that. Uh, we know the defensive end depth on this Bills team is incredible. So, I don't care if he's 30% a rotation, 35%, take it slow. Let Leonard Floyd, let uh, uh, Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa cook until Von is fully ready to take on a larger percentage. We'll get into more of, of Von Miller later. Once again, the show is brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. Really excited to talk Jags as these team two teams don't match up uh, that often anymore. They used to. Uh, there used to be plenty of games from, you know, 2007 to 2018, 2017. There used to be plenty of matchups in there to talk about. Uh, we had the Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson game many years ago. Oh, we had Josh Allen's really rookie year where he looked really good against the Jags. We've had the Josh Allen of the Jaguars take care of Josh Allen of the Bills just a few years ago to really limit their seeding. That was a big loss for the Bills uh, that season. Brian Dabo was, was touted as an offensive genius. He certainly wasn't against the Jags last time they played, limiting their seeding. Thus, we all know what happened later on in that year with 13 seconds having to travel to Arrowhead instead of having that, that game at home. I uh, could have made all the difference in the world. So, these games have ramifications here, and uh, it's it's just a really important you know game to see you in London. Um, I think the Jags are more conditioned for this type of uh, environment, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one, I think, and it's gonna be what the league hopes it was, uh, as they didn't really score a, a big win last week with the Bills dominating the Dolphins. But we're happy to welcome Justin Dunk to the show. Justin, thank you so much for making an appearance here on the Going Deep podcast and from the Believe Network. First and foremost, how are you feeling today? Doing well, fellas. Thanks for having me on, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. So why not, what, what we always like to ask our guests, and it'll, it'll probably be short for you. It's only been four weeks into the year. Tell us a little bit about two and two for the Jags, some good moments, certainly seen some falters. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. We, you know, we're going to see the, the the emergence of Cam Robinson this week off of suspension. Uh, will Zay Jones play, you know, fan of a friend of Buffalo uh, for many years uh, previously, one of, one of one of the draft picks by the Buffalo Bills. So, so tell us, recap the first two and two start for you guys. I certainly had you toward the top of the AFC, but now it seems like you're in a, in, in a battle with the AFC South. Yeah, everybody's at two and two in the AFC South. And really there's been some good, mostly the defense and a lot of mediocre from this team and some bad from the offense. Trevor Lawrence has been really, really good, has fallen victim to nine drops that ties an NFL high for team drops across the league. Calvin Ridley has four of those drops. He is the leader in terms of individual drops by receivers across the league. And I think a lot of people were thinking that this offense would click more, especially with Lawrence in the second year under Doug Peterson and his offensive scheme. But Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, has come under a lot of fire because he's taken over full-time play calling duties last year near the end of the year they were splitting the halves Peterson would do the first half Taylor would do the second half but my analyst on the Believe in Jaguars podcast Clay Harbor played for Doug Peterson and really feels this offense would be better if Peterson was calling the plays and I kind of tend to agree the defense has been really good the other Josh Allen as everybody refers to him as (laughs) down in Jacksonville has six sacks tied for the league lead They've been flying around and playing very consistent defense. Tyson Campbell, one of the underrated quarterbacks in the league, he's going to get a chance to go up against Stephon Diggs this week. Andre Sisco is a top five type of safety in the league. He's been that good for the Jaguars this week. But this is a major task, given that they're going to have to defend this dynamic Bills offense. So that's kind of the overview of the start. I think of a lot of people were really hyped up. Going into that Kansas City game, felt like that could be a statement. The defense certainly did their part, but the offense couldn't come through. And then the loss to the Texans just felt like a major letdown game after all the emotion went into that home game against Kansas City. So it's a record that I don't think a lot of people in Jacksonville thought the Jags would have, probably 3-1, and one, considering they would have had a loss on there to the Chiefs to start the season in terms of projections. But 2-2, two and two, isn't the worst that said it should probably be better overall now when and sorry kevin um looking at this jags offense you mentioned that trevor lawrence has has looked solid uh, so far but the jags really haven't been lighting up the scoreboard early on this year you mentioned drops have been an issue uh they're around 20 points a game a lot of the metrics uh such as dvoa have them as a middle of the pack uh offense so far uh early on this season are you seeing regression from uh, this unit as a whole? Obviously, the, the running game really hasn't gotten clicking at this point. Or is it just players letting Trevor Lawrence down? What What is, I guess, beyond the drops? What is holding back uh, this team from really, uh, I guess, putting more points up on the scoreboard and really taking that next step under Trevor Lawrence? Because I feel like the, the whole offseason narrative was that Lawrence was ready to ascend closer to that that upper tier of quarterbacks um not saying he he isn't or can't but uh it seems like it, it hasn't gotten off to that type of start that some people might have expected 
he hasn't played like it, right? The numbers don't jump out at you like they would the Bills version of Josh Allen. So I totally get it. And there has been some of the fans' fervor directed at Lawrence, but he's been really good, right? He's made a lot of big-time throws, that metric, according to Pro Football Focus, that were in tight situations, difficult spots, small windows. And really, in that Kansas City game, there were at least a couple of touchdowns that were inches away. It's obviously a game of inches, and you got to make the play, but there were a couple of them that were oh so close. Say Jones in the back of the end zone, Calvin Ridley as well. Calvin Ridley actually hit the goalpost on one of those as well. So on multiple occasions, if they just haul those balls in or get a pinky toe inbounds, then I think we're talking about this offense much differently. That said, the major issues have been the drops. Also, Zay Jones has been out for the last two games for this offense, and I think he's a really underrated piece. Of course, Bills fans know him very well to this unit, and I kind of get the sense that Doug Peterson was perhaps saving Jones for this game against the Bills, not because it's his former team, but because he knew his offense was going to have to score points to have any hope in heck to compete with this Bills team. So he's been dealing with a knee injury the last couple of weeks. We'll see as the week goes along here how he's progressing. But, you know, I got the sense last week after Peterson said he was coming along nicely that he was holding them out for this game. This was a game that he was eyeing up. And he's a guy that has been a real comfort target for Lawrence, especially on third down. And that's an area where this team has struggled. They're 29th guys of 32 teams in terms of third down conversions this season in the NFL. That's almost unheard of considering the weapons they have on this team, but they got to be better on the money downs. Fourth down has not been kind to this team either, even though they've shown the propensity to gamble and go for it. So I think that's what's holding the offense back. Untimely drops, not being able to convert on third down, inconsistent offensive line play. Cam Robinson coming back is going to help that. The Jags are going to have to decide how they want to configure this offensive line, but you know, Robinson's going to be on the field, Walker Little will as well, and Brandon Sheriff at that right guard spot. Those guys are pretty legit, but some of those other guys need to step up and protect Lawrence better. Yeah, as you look through some of the metrics that I found interesting, I mean, the Jaguars were 55% in drives ending in a punt or a turnover. We saw some stats come out today by Warren Sharp. Um have you seen that to be more conservative? What's the nature of that number being, um, you know, more toward the middle? But uh, really, I thought that the Jags would be toward the top of the list in that the Bills are 33 uh, percent third in the league for for reference point. Um, so what do, what do you think um, from your perspective is causing some of those inefficiencies? There just really hasn't been a flow on offense, guys. And I think that has to do a little bit with Taylor calling the plays. Last year, it seemed like Lawrence was in a really good rhythm, especially when Peterson was calling the plays, just kind of knowing what to expect in certain situations. So I think it's been real clunky for the Jaguars. And also, you know, they've got some new guys in there, right? Tank Bigsby is backing up Travis Etienne, and he's seen some time. Had a lot of work in week one, but that's kind of decreased after that play where Lawrence was hit and it wasn't a forward pass and then it was ruled a fumble and Bigsby was literally standing around the ball gets punched out and DeForest Buckner takes it back the other way for a touchdown so he hasn't seen as much playing time since that happened and the other one that a lot of people are paying attention to is Anton Harrison the right tackle first round pick of the Jags 
had a difficult start to the year, went up against Chris Jones and really got his welcome to the NFL moment. But after that, Jones came out and said he felt like Harrison was going to be pretty good in the future. So he's been taking his lumps at right tackle. I feel like that was a sore spot, especially in that Chiefs game. Will Anderson got after him a little bit in that Texans game as well. So I think those are some of the issues. But honestly, the offense just hasn't seemed to get into a flow. It's shown it at times. Like the first week against Indianapolis, you could see it in the second and the fourth quarter that it seemed smooth that they were getting into a rhythm. But honestly, even last week against the Falcons in London at Wembley Stadium, it just didn't seem like there was a rhythm, even though that's they started that game off fast with a touchdown drive. And, and that seems a little, it, from the outside, it, it feels a little odd that it really hasn't taken off yet. I understand different play caller, things are going to take some time, but with some of the weapons the Jaguars have on offense, it, it seems like it, it that they should be executing at a higher level, especially now with Calvin Ridley um, in the fold. I understand that Zay Jones has missed a few games. Um, is there any worries that um, that maybe this won't come together the way that people think? Obviously, it's it's super early. I I understand it's way too early to to freak out about stuff, but how if things have they changed things up with Calvin Ridley in there? Or is it, uh, I guess, why do you think some of these struggles to get some of these weapons involved and really have uh, the success uh, that they had at times at the end of last year? There's definitely concern about the offense. Even Lawrence, after the win against Atlanta, said, you know, it was still pretty messy. Like he didn't feel like there was a rhythm or a flow after that game. And they probably should have blown Atlanta out by like 30 points. There was a lot of points left on the field and you mentioned Ridley there and I feel like part of what's happened with this team in the offense is that it's changed right in week one Calvin Ridley had seven catches for 92 yards and one touchdown in the opening half alone and that's a major piece to add to your offense and work in and change the entire dynamic and that was after Christian Kirk got this massive 70 plus million dollar deal and it seemed like he was going to be the number one guy so I think they've gone back now a little bit to letting Ridley work into it at his own pace, even though he had that 100-yard performance in week one and featuring Kirkmore, who seems to just have a better rapport, and rightfully so because he spent more time together with Lawrence, with his quarterback. Kirk has been targeted way more, especially the last three weeks has been much more effective had over a hundred yards in that chiefs game had eight for 84 i believe it was against the falcons and i think he's really been a driver of this offense but one other guy i think that needs to step up when you talk about the weapons is evan engram i think he needs to play better and be a little bit more consistent he made a really nice catch in week one split out wide over the top of a defender but other than that really hasn't flashed all that much and I think that's kind of what's happening here with the offense is that they're trying to figure out, okay, with Calvin Ridley here, how does this all work now? Because last year you knew it was going to be Christian Kirk on one side, Zay Jones on the other, and you had Evan Engram kind of work in the middle of the field. Now guys are kind of shuffled around in that offense. So I think that's part of what is holding this offense back until they get their timing together. Makes a lot of sense. And I think, what sticks out to me is what Evan Ingram can do. The Bills really haven't had to play a top-end tight end yet. 
Um, they've, you know, they had a couple do du- the duo in the, in New York's okay. Uh, they, they were making some plays against the chiefs just a few nights ago. Um, you know, Logan Thomas was out when they played Washington. Um, you know, Durham, uh, Smythe is, is, is not the world, a world beater, uh, by any stretch. And, and Michael Mayer in, in, in Vegas is not getting going yet. Uh, so the bills really haven't had to, to scheme for it yet. But the one thing they have advantage wise, Justin is Terrell Bernard. He's been a match up warrior. He's been really good replacing Tremaine Edmonds. A lot of people thought it was the biggest knock of the roster. It's actually been a slight upgrade so far, the way he's been able to cover it, uh, carry receivers, um, and and just just has that knack for the ball. Already has four turnovers uh, in this game. So a name to to look out for is Terrell Bernard. I'm really interested to see Evan Ingram in this for that reason, to really see if Terrell Bernard's coverage is where uh, it's supposed to be. The Bills went, they went, they went young. They went small and they went fast at the linebacker position, something Sean McDermott took a little bit of heat for going from someone like Tremaine Edmonds uh, to that style of linebacker. And so far it has uh, they have seen some 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 wins there uh, in that regards. And obviously when the kids call and they say, hey, dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together. And Skyline's always been part of our family time. There's a reason Bowling Green State University is ranked number one in Ohio for student experience. Our in-demand degrees and life design program prepare students for their first career and their next. With an unparalleled support system at a national research university, BGSU offers an unrivaled experience, all on a vibrant campus in one of America's best college towns. It's also why Bowling Green State University is the number one school in the Midwest that students would choose again for the fourth year in a row. We've seen the injury to Trey White, um, what he means to this roster, and was just starting to play up to his all-pro level. Was really doing a great job against Tyreek Hill. Uh, the Bills generally do uh, play those Dolphins weapons very well. Uh, so that was a, a real bummer. So we'll have to see what the Bills scheme up this week uh, against Trevor Lawrence. So we'll see. You know, A lot of fans are calling for Kyrie Elam, their, uh, their former first-round pick, and we'll see if they go with him or the savvy veteran in Dane Jackson. But the running game was something I wanted to touch on with you, Justin, while we had you. And also, before we touch on that, though, I wanted to get I wanted to get on the the London questions. I, ha- I we have to ask it. A lot of people asking about them, and it's not foreign for you guys uh, and in Jacksonville, whether players, coaching, training staff, whatever. Bills media, Bills fans, I found it fascinating. What day, I've been asked, what day are they leaving? Why are they leaving that day? What's this five hour time differential um, for 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 the Bills to go that way? I think it's a little bit easier, and hence their decision to leave Thursday night. Uh, so they're really playing a night game with their body. You know, you know, two thirty kickoff. Eastern, uh, their time, you know, so they're, 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 they're getting used to like the difference of the schedules as compared to going to, to the West coast and being three hours uh, behind. So what have you found Jacksonville's done right? When do they leave? I know this is weird with the back-to-backs. Um, have you found that to be an advantage over these other teams? I guess just tell us your opinion of the London's, uh, games. Do you like them in general and kind of, and then we'll get back into kind of the run game, but tell, tell us a little bit about the London side and when they leave and what they like. The Jags are used to this. This will be their 11th game in London. Last week was their 10th. They're five and five over there, though, so they haven't necessarily used that to their advantage. Yeah, but in this instance, I think it's going to be an advantage for the Jaguars because they went over last Thursday. So they've obviously been there, been adjusting to the time period. They've been training at the Groves, which is where my analyst on the Believe in Jaguars podcast, Clay Harbor, was at when he played for the Jaguars and they went over to London. And he said he really liked the facility and it was great because 
you had the team all together. It was a little different than training camp because you're into the season and you have the guys that are on the roster. And I think Doug Peterson really feels like this was a good spot for this team to go, especially after back-to-back home losses. might seem kind of weird, but just being around each other and kind of out of your usual surroundings in Jacksonville with all the people there kind of up in arms about that one and two start, he really thinks it's benefited his team. And the interesting part to me though, fellas, is that the hotel that the Jaguars were in last week and all the way up until the bills get there is the same one the bills are going to stay in. So they have to switch hotels for this game and they're playing in a different stadium. Last week they were at Wembley Stadium. This time it's going to be Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So the surroundings will be a little different. The Jaguars have played there before in the past. And you hear Lawrence and some of the players talk about it. I think they really enjoy the fandom over there. They're treating this largely like a business trip. Lawrence did say that you know he's going to have some dinners out and kind of get around the city a little bit by foot with his family and check out some of the sites. But their focus, and I think it showed last week, especially the defense on turning around this slow start. So I think overall the London games are really intriguing. Obviously, it draws in a different crowd, and the NFL is trying to go global. And I think so far, at least on this trip, it has been to the benefit of the Jags. What have the crowds been like from uh, a Jaguars perspective uh, in recent years, obviously they've now had a bunch of these trips to London. Uh, this is technically a Bills home game, but uh, I, I would assume there's going to be a lot of Bills Mafia traveling there. But just the Jags having played there every year for uh, however many years recently, have they been getting a lot of support uh, when they've been playing these games overseas in London? There's a decent amount of support, but I don't think I would call it a home game. And Lawrence agreed with that assessment. He said it's not like he necessarily cares one way or another. He's going out there laser focused on what he has to do. It's not like there's a ton of noise against them. So from that standpoint, for the offense to operate, it hasn't necessarily been difficult from a sound standpoint, but it hasn't been like that Jags defense has had a lot of fan support. I think there are a section of Jaguars fans over there in London, in England, in the UK, because they've played, as I said, 10 games, and this will be their 11th against the Bills. But it's not like it's an overwhelming home field advantage for Jacksonville. Makes sense. And when do they usually leave this week aside? When did they leave for Atlanta when they played Atlanta? What, what is their general schedule? How do they play it? They left on Thursday, so kind of okay. similar to the Bills. Okay. And Clay Harbor, again, my analyst on the Believe in Jaguars podcast, was telling me that they did it different ways when he was there under Gus Bradley. One time they left on a Thursday, another time they stayed an entire week. Then there was an incident that he talked about on our latest episode, so you could go mm-hmm. check it out. So they went back to just going out there on the yeah. Thursday. So different coaches are playing it different ways. I see that. Okay. So it seems to be Thursdays based on science or research or bodies composition or whatever it might be <laughs> that it does seem like that's what the bills, Sean McDermott just kept answering questions by saying, uh, that's what our research team said. That's what our planners did. And there's gotta be something there that shows maybe closer being, being in routine throughout practice week does generally lead to better results. Um, because I'm assuming that a lot of people thought they were going to leave yesterday. Uh, that's, that was the rumblings I had heard, but them going through their regular practice week, 
I guess makes sense uh, in theory. But to get back to the game now, um, as you know, so you know, we want to you know use your time wisely and not just about London. Um, mm-hmm. the, the running game, a lot of Bills fans wanted Travis Etienne. Had he been on the board, there was much ch- chatter that that would have been the Bills' selection prior to to now James Cook. Um, you know, they went and selected James Cook, who is, has worked out finally for the Bills this season. Uh, but tell us about the run game. Is it a run block issue? Some of the DVOA rankings aren't great with the Jags running game. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Lawrence, but what's going on there? Because I think he's a difference maker. You know, I've watched a lot of film on him. Uh, obviously, he faced the injury, which was devastating uh, for him. But, but you know, he's back, uh, getting a lot of carries. Uh, he's seeing a lot of snap shares. You mentioned Bigsby earlier. Is it just something that has to get flowing? Is it the mix up on the O line? Will is Cam Robinson going to increase this? I guess talk to us about that because I have seen some mixed results, especially from uh, some of the interior of the Jags line. There's so much of what you just said there that I think is connected. So first of all, let's start with the offensive line, right? Because Cam Robinson was out for the first four games. Walker Little was playing left tackle. So you had arguably your two best offensive linemen that were starting. One was at left tackle and the other was at right guard. So it wasn't necessarily like you had a strong side to run the ball with. And there was a lot of talk there about Luke Fortner and Ben Barch, especially in the middle, not playing well, not getting enough surge, not working up to second level as well as they should. So I think is partly the offensive line and there just hasn't been much room there for Travis Etienne to run. And I think that's connected to the pass game as well, because it isn't like this team has been shooting the lights out from a passing standpoint with Lawrence throwing the ball down the field. So they've dealt with, I wouldn't say loaded boxes, but a decent amount of guys in the box, especially on first down. And they stuck with it last week against Atlanta. Part of that was because they were in control from the start of that game after the first drive touchdown. ETN had 20 carries, I think it was for like 55 yards. So part of that was ball possession, but you can't live off of that. And I think this run game is something that the Jags need to try to exploit against the Bills who are averaging, giving up over six yards per carry. So Something's kind of got to give here. ETN is very explosive. Entering week four, he had combined for the most missed tackles, running the ball or catching it in the NFL with 20. I think he has 16 of those in the run game through four weeks. So he's certainly been elusive. But you got to at least give this guy like a sliver of a hole (laughs) or a chance to get going because he can be really dynamic. I think there has been some close runs and we saw how explosive this guy can be especially in week one against the Colts this run that I think was around 30 yards looked like it was stacked up and all of a sudden he bounces it off tackle and takes it for a touchdown to ice that game so I think it's really close but with Cam Robinson coming back it'll be interesting to see do they put Walker Little at left guard and try to make that a strong side of their offensive line Or how do they configure it? Because there's a lot of talk in Duval country about the best way to potentially start this offensive line, considering Robinson is coming back. But with Robinson back, I think that should improve, obviously, the pass blocking. And in this case, the run game for ETN to get going. Now, talk to us a little bit about uh, the Jaguars defense as we transition to the other side of the ball. Uh, according to the metrics, they look like a much improved unit overall compared to last year, uh, where they were near the bottom in, in many categories. But they've also played three young court, uh, quarterbacks this year, two rookies, and then Desmond Ritter this past week. 
But when they played Mahomes, they did a good job at limiting Kansas City. What is your buy-in right now with this Jaguars defense? Do you think they are legitimately um, an above-average unit, or do you think they have uh, feasted on uh, younger quarterbacks to this point of the season? There's the possibility there to be an above-average unit, and it should be said that C.J. Stroud picked this defense apart. There was a couple of blown coverages in there as well, but he looked really good, and he's looked really good yeah, against yeah. anybody he's played this year. So I think he's well above your average rookie quarterback out there. That said, I think the Jaguars' defense still has left some plays out there for his pretty consistent as they've played to start the season. People want to see more out of Trayvon Walker. This guy was a number one overall pick, and he just has not played to that level yet in a Jaguars uniform. You have Josh Allen on the other side who has – Six sacks, and some people were saying after the week one performance where he had three. So he's got two games with three sacks this season, if you guys didn't know that. And in week one, some people were like, well, he's just chasing Anthony Richardson out of bounds when he's trying to run. And still like, you know, would you rather him chase him out of bounds for a, quote, sack? Or would you rather let Richardson get around the corner to do some damage down the field? So I think Allen has been a beast, drawn a lot of attention. Walker needs to step it up. Foya Luokan in the middle has been really good. Led the NFL in tackles a year ago. Is up there with 46 through four games this season. But there is no doubt they're going to be tested against the Bills, and especially this back end. And I'm really curious to see how Tyson Campbell plays. He's one of, I think, the most underrated cornerbacks in the league, but you got to go prove it against guys like Stephon Diggs. And I think he's going to see a lot of him. Andre Sisco, I mentioned him earlier, has had a really good season. Darius Williams had a pick six last week, but he's kind of been hit or miss giving up some plays. So the defense, I would say, is on the younger side. They fly around. They're fast. They can be physical, but they're probably overall a little bit undersized. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, too, is – um, you'll have to tell us the loss of Devin Lloyd, who didn't get on the plane to London, uh, Chad Muma coming in there and also a lot of base defense, right? So tell, tell us a little bit about the defense and the three, four. Um, I, I see that they take Trey Herndon out a little bit. Um, what's the situation there? What, what kind of looks will they show Josh Allen? Uh, I mean, keeping a lot of people in the box for the most part, they're stopping the run seventh in the league DVOA, uh, in that category. I thought they played Bijan really well. Uh, for how good he's been this season and what he can do to a game. Honestly, Atlanta goes as far as he does, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, taking him out and putting a lot on Ritter just wasn't the t- uh, recipe for success for Atlanta. Uh, so what what have they been doing base-wise? What do you expect kind of coverage based on your opinion to see? Will they go, man, um, you know, I know historically at times, you'll have to tell us about this year so far, but Mike Caldwell is usually a blitzer in his past um, out of that 3-4 defense. So tell us about what he's been doing more recently in modern day and how you would see, you know, what did he do to Mahomes? That's a good comparison. The Jets were able to keep both Allen and Mahomes at bay. Can Jacksonville do the same thing? What, what kind of looks did they show him as compared to maybe some of the other quarterbacks? As you mentioned, Stroud was able to take advantage there. So what happened? And, you know, to me, Herndon looks like an area to target um, uh, for the Bills. But tell us what happens, why he comes off the field. What's the situation there so far? 
Yeah, so just to touch on Bijan Robinson real quick, like he still rushed for 100 yards. So even yeah. though it seemed like kind of a slow game, like he did have a pretty yeah, good day against that front. And Devin Lloyd is sorely missed. Like he was a guy that was trash talking with Travis Kelsey and held him to just four catches for 26 yards in that game. Yes, he had a touchdown, but that is a major piece that is gone from this defense. Yes, Chad Muma is in there, but he is... I don't think anywhere close to Devin Lloyd in terms of ability against the run and in the past game as well, especially in coverage. And you could just tell that that defense was ready to take a big step, especially with him in there. But those front three guys, I think, need to be challenged to make some more plays. Rory Robertson Harris, I would say, is a guy that has kind of gone under the radar. You mentioned what does Mike Caldwell like to do? Well, we saw against the Texans, you know, a decent amount of main coverage. And there was a couple of blown coverages there, specifically one to Tank Dell that led to a big play. Dell had a big game in that one. I think he was over 140 yards. So they've been susceptible to that. You've seen Darius Williams at times get a little jumpy and gamble on some stuff. Trey Herndon has kind of been in and out. Last week he did have, you know, a good – blitz off the edge that led to an Allen sack. So they've kind of moved him around. But I really think that this defense needs to get more pressure just from their base 3-4. And I think that starts with Walker. Allen has been really good, but you got to have those going on both sides. Otherwise, otherwise Caldwell has shown that, you know, he will mix up those looks. But, you know, this is just such a totally different thing going against Josh Allen, who yeah. is among the elite of the elite in the league. And, oh, by the way, he can obviously run the ball too, right? I think he's leading the NFL in total touchdowns. So this guy is an absolute beast. And I think Caldwell has to do his best to keep him guessing. But especially with Lloyd out of the lineup, I think that just makes it difficult, especially when you've got a guy who I think is due for a breakout in that offense in Dalton Kincaid that has been on the field for a lot of snaps and would be a perfect guy for Lloyd to erase. I think that's an area where the Bills could take advantage. I think you you nailed it on the head where they have to be able to generate pressure without sending guys. Uh, my question for you is outside of uh, your Josh Allen, uh, on the Jaguars, do you think that they are capable of getting uh, to Josh, uh, our Josh, uh, on Sunday? Because the one thing that uh, I know a lot of talk came out of the Jets game on the Monday Night Football that Josh makes these boneheaded plays. Well, a lot of times these boneheaded plays happen when Josh didn't trust the offensive line and he goes up against a secondary that's good enough to take advantage of his mistakes but that is very few and far between teams that can actually do that. And the Bills offensive line, surprising, well, I don't want to say surprisingly, is kind of found that chemistry with the interior uh, this year really stepping up. And the I guess one of the biggest surprises of the season so far for the Bills is that right tackle Spencer Brown has elevated himself to not be the liability many fans thought uh, he would be before the season. So I guess my big thing for you is, can the the Jags get to uh, Josh Allen on Sunday? And to couple that question real quick, Justin, Allen has six, and the rest of the team has three. So is that, <laughs> I guess, exactly. to Mike's point, what what are you seeing, and is, is there a possibility to at least have Josh Allen be even with the rest of the team? To me, it would be easy, right? If you're going to game plan against the Jags defense, make sure you slide, chip, yep. do what you got to do to take – 
the other Josh Allen, the edge rusher Josh Allen, out of the picture and make Trayvon Walker beat you or make some of these other guys up front. Adam Gotsis, we have not really heard from. I said Robertson Harris off the other edge. We haven't heard from him really at all. So I think it's simple that this team has not shown consistently through four games that they can get after the passer minus Josh Allen. So that is a major, major factor in this game going against the Bills, especially, and you guys know this well, Josh Allen, the quarterback, can be so deadly against the blitz with his arm and also with his feet. He can take off for big gains like that. So this team, I think, really needs to show that they can get after Allen, at least pressure and affect him and even hit him a little bit from that base look, from their 3-4, from playing some games up front, from some stunts, from some twists. Otherwise, that is going to leave this back end very susceptible. A guy like Darius Williams, who you know likes to gamble, on those double moves, man, Stephon Diggs could get him real bad. So this front has to play much better. Josh Allen, edge rusher aside, for Jacksonville to have a legit chance in this game. Yeah, some analytics, too, around Rayshon Jenkins struggling uh, as well. So uh, as good as Cisco's been. Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting there. The secondary seems to have some mixed results. Base defense is so important to be able to get after Josh because he can get him on one, maybe in an individual blitz. But if you rely on that, um, he'll start to recognize man coverage and he's just going to be gaping. I mean, you almost can't do it because of then either you need to dedicate a spy with man coverage, which means a ton of available in, 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 in the past game, or you don't have a spy and maybe people are covered up a little bit better, but there's gaping holes to run. So it's really tough to send more um, than needed toward Josh Allen. It's generally not the recipe for success. And, and I'm assuming uh, the Jags defense is aware of, of most of, of his analytics uh, so far. And you got to get pressure because of how dominant he's been uh, with play action this year and under center uh, and his connection with uh, Stefan Diggs is as good as it's ever been. So it's going to be a really good matchup. Justin, we really appreciate you making 40 minutes to come on here and talk. Uh, you know, it's really insightful, you know, we, especially lately. I mean, they played on Jacks are in um, in London eight years ago now. So the Bills don't have a lot of London games. They don't play the Jags a ton recently. And there could be a budding playoff battle in their future. Um, I wouldn't be totally shocked by that. Um, they could have matched up last year, uh, too, had both teams had won uh, their playoff game. So uh tell us a little bit about where we can find you you mentioned a couple of things with clay harbor earlier what you got working this week i think you're on with thomas on our network on thursday um so i guess tell us a little bit about what you're working on and then we always ask to give us your score prediction because no one knows your team better than you guys and you so we're very always interested to hear what you have to say uh what you're working on and then your uh score prediction for this game Thanks, man. Well, first of all, appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a blast breaking down this matchup with you guys. Absolutely. So you can catch our podcast. I've talked about it, as you mentioned, a couple of times with Clay Harbor. He's a really fun, energetic dude and obviously has a unique lens of being a former player and playing under Doug Peterson. So he knows him very well. It's the Believe in Jaguars podcast. You can get it on any of your major podcast platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at jdunk12. You want to talk Jags, ball, anything, I'm down for it. And as far as for what's coming up for the week, yeah, I'll be back on the network on Thursday night. I'm also going to be on buffalobills.com. I think nice. it's with Chris Brown there and Steve Tasker. So it's yep. a busy week, man, but it's always fun talking ball, right? Yeah. 
you guys do great work on the Believe Network. We we love uh, hearing from you guys uh, and the entire network of of shows. But give us your final score prediction. Why you think so? Oh boy, man! Scores I'm <laughs> usually terrible with, but you know I got this odd feeling that this game could be closer than a lot of people think. Like I think a lot of people look at the game and think, yeah, the Bills are probably going to roll in there with this offense and blow them out. But because Jacksonville's been over there for a little while now and they're kind of better adjusted. I think the Jags play them close, but yeah. two things need to happen for the Jags to be in this ballgame. they got to find a way, as we talked about, to get pressure with their base defense, with that 3-4 look, and the offense has to score some points. So I'm kind of seeing this in the range of like a 28-24 type of a game, maybe 31-24 for the Bills. I know that offense looked like – it was going crazy last week against Miami. They dropped 48 points pretty easy, but I think maybe the, the travel can slow them down a little bit. And honestly, Trayvon Walker has been hearing about this for so long, all the criticism. So if he shows up, Jacksonville's got a chance. And they did make Patrick Mahomes, I don't want to say look ordinary, but kind of held him at bay there. That said, he does not have... I think the amount of playmakers that Josh Allen has at his disposal. So I'm kind of feeling it, you know, in that 31 to 24, 28 to 24 range. Thank you so much, Justin, for coming on. It's really insightful. 40 minutes. We'll see Justin on our network later on with Thomas Buffalo late night here and cover one uh, Thursday at seven as well with Chris Brown, as he just mentioned, and check out all of his work on the believe uh, network with Clay Harbor. So we're looking forward to following you along uh, and follow his Twitter. And I've already seen some really good stuff from your Twitter. So we look forward to it. Maybe we'll meet again um, and we can have a little bit of an update. I don't think it's crazy to assume that there could be a wild card game, uh divisional round game or or the likes i mean they've happened before we've definitely had two shows uh in one season and this i will say this one is up there on the potential of likelihood that could happen justin so look forward to that potentially but thank you so much for coming on yeah boys i agree with you and thanks for having me yeah we'll see hopefully see you soon at some point in january sounds good that was Justin Dunk from the Believe Network. Uh, really great stuff there to be able to uh, go through all of the individual matchups as uh, excellent analysis, as always, as we'll be able to see him later on in the network. But it's time to bring up Kevin Syracuse. Producer Kevin's going to come up, tell us his beliefs and his thoughts from the game, as well as this Jags matchup uh, to, to break down as well. Uh, so we'll bring up Kevin now to the show. Kevin, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on. What did you, first and foremost, what did you take away from, from the uh, breakdown of the Jags and, um, you know, the great information we had over the last 40 minutes? Well, I think this can be a week, another week, where the Bills' offense can eat because if Josh Allen is the only one getting pressure, I would like to think that our Josh Allen will have time to survey the field, and I really like Stephon Diggs' chances against their young defensive back. So we'll get to our score predictions later, but – the Jags always keep it close for some reason. The Bills can never just put a stomping on them. So we'll talk about this more later on in the show, but it's definitely going to be interesting. It sure is. It's going to be a really, uh, really good battle. And, you know, like I said, I want to talk a little bit about the Dolphins. We had the Jag uh, Jags guest on early today to make sure to break down some of that. I want to spend a ton of time on the Dolphins. Uh, it's already 48 hours past due. Uh, and we're on to the Jags. Like, look, this wasn't a week four Super Bowl. Might have been for Miami. This wasn't a week four Super Bowl for the Bills. They got their got in their work. They got it done and always scheme well and get these victories, Mike. But uh, you were there. You you definitely were sent a recap video after the game. 
Did you know Skyline serves their awesome chili and cheddar inside a warm, soft tortilla? They call it a Chilito. I call it delicious. You can even add sour cream, onions, or spaghetti if you like. Chilitos are a great way to satisfy that Skyline crave. Celebrity voice impersonation, not an endorsement. Why go to a single furniture store when you can go to Big Sandy Superstore? Shop and compare America's top five mattress brands, plus Nectar and Purple. And choose from over 22,000 in-stock appliances from the top brands at the guaranteed lowest price. Or furnish the room of your dreams with a large selection of American-built furniture. With financing plans for just about anyone, there's nowhere else quite like it. Big Sandy Superstore. The atmosphere there was wild. I shout out, first of all, shout out to all Bills fans, you guys, for not only not selling your tickets, for going, for making noise, and what you were able to do for anybody there. Super props, as we've seen so many stadiums cash out um, and not be able to get it done uh, and have Bills, uh, you know, kind of take over in their cities. Uh, Miami Dolphins fans, uh, there are a lot of them around the country, you know, so that that that's really important. So I just want to shout out to all Bills fans there for getting out there, making a ton of noise and affecting that game at times to where Tua said he couldn't uh, handle his offensive line protections and kind of blamed it on that a little bit and kind of the in and out of, of Armstead leaving the game. And I've heard a lot of good stuff from that. So this is a great performance from Bills fans. So I wanted to make sure we had time to shout that one out. But Mike, give us your recap of the game, the atmosphere there. Uh, and how how good it was to not be two and two, and to now have the stranglehold on the division rather than be really uh, some serious danger. Yeah, there there was a lot of anxiety before the game, just realizing going in that most people thought it was a coin flip battle. Didn't end up playing out that way, but there was the fear if you fall to two and two, then you're zero and two in the AFC East. The Dolphins are ahead of you. Everybody's going to be talking them up. One of the best offenses to start the season that we've ever seen. Uh, so there was a lot of nervousness early on, especially with the team's trading blows in the first quarter. After that point, though, once the Bills had their first stop and you saw Miami punt and then you saw a, t- a takeaway later in the first half, you finally had a chance to breathe a little bit and realize, you know what, this this offense is stoppable. We, we can do things to slow them down and make plays. And then a, a completely high, another gear in the second half where, you get an interception, you're getting a pass rush to uh, get to Tua resulting in sacks, and the Dolphins just looked defeated at the end of this contest. They had no answers for Josh Allen, and that was kind of one of the points I was trying to make all of last week. I didn't know if the Bills' defense was going to be able to slow Miami the way they did, but I never had any confidence that Miami was going to be able to slow down Josh Allen. Uh, There's all this focus on... Miami and their 70-point performance in the greatest show on turf. And there was a lot of ignoring the fact that the Bills averaged 29 points a game last year, and Miami averaged like 24 points a game. The Bills' offense is better than the Miami Dolphins' offense at the end of the the day. And one historic performance doesn't take away from that. Uh, The Bills have the better quarterback. They have uh, Stephon Diggs, who... I don't care if people want to say Tyreek Hill is better at the moment. Maybe he's the most dangerous weapon, but Stephon Diggs is every bit the wide receiver overall. And now that the Bills are incorporating a run game, equally dangerous offense, in my opinion. So it was great to see the Bills finally put together their best offensive performance of the season. And what we're really starting to see now from this offense is their balance, their ability to run 
uh, and run in different ways. Uh, in between the tackles with guys like Damian Harris and Latavius Murray, who look solid once again, but then have that explosiveness out of Cook where he has the long uh, reception, uh, where he smartly uh, gives Josh Allen the space to throw the ball on a scramble drill. Those are really encouraging signs for me offensively um, overall. And then defensively, like we got to just keep talking up Terrell Bernard. I mean, he, he he's one of the MVPs of this defense right now. He, he's like a Milano clone. He's quick. He's athletic. He's in the right spots. He has the instincts. He's not going to be perfect in the run game. He's going to have mistakes every once in a while. But, damn, the, the interception uh, that Micah Hyde had, you can credit a lot of that to Terrell Bernard not being fooled by Tua's eyes and not getting off of his man, which forced Tua to block the ball a little bit more, which was the difference between making a completion and being an interception right there. So Terrell Bernard has been amazing. Daquan Jones is absolutely balling Judge. right now. Ed Judge. Oliver, ignore his PFF grade. He's playing like a pro bowler right now. One of the best defensive tackles in football through four games. Greg Rousseau, what, what more can I say about him? Unbelievable how good he is. Matt Milano, he could be in the defensive player of the year conversation, the way he's playing. And then the secondary, got to give props to the Hyde, got to give props to Benford and Trey. Obviously, the injury sucks. Um, devastating that we're probably not going to see Trey uh, – who knows if we're ever going to see Trey with Poyer, Hyde, and Vaughn all on at the field at the same time. But, yeah, the complete domination. And the Bills basically told the NFL world, we are one of the best teams in football still. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can't say enough about where this team is through four weeks, especially with the dud of the game week one. Game plan was still good. I do not you know, at all blame the coaching staff for week one. But it goes without saying, some of the biggest narratives and talking points this season and this summer were all solved. And with those being said, many Bills fans would say those were the issues and those are the reasons that are, are keeping this team from making it over the hump. McDermott, we don't know if he can call plays, if he it's going to go backwards. Check. What are we going to see from Dorsey? Is he going to struggle? Is he going to be able to run 12? Is he going to be able to use a check? What's Terrell Bernard? He's small. He's weak. He's soft. He's always hurt some narratives that people tried to buy into, although there was a lot of credit and a lot of things you could do to disprove the negative factor around Terrell Bernard, both with his athletic profile, but he was able to do a Baylor, what the bills were looking for in a linebacker post Tremaine admins, as well as his injuries were bone and, and fluky, not soft tissue. Um, and he played the majority of games throughout the season in which something fluky didn't happen. And then lastly, and, and one of the bigger ones for me specifically is the offensive line. What's going to happen with Spencer Brown? He's terrible. Why didn't we draft the right tackle? What's going to happen in the interior? McGovern was overpaid. Um, the number one rated pass blocking line per PFF and other metrics as they come in, not just PFF's grade, which sometimes can be up and down. It is still a sticking point for me as well to talk about, you know, an ESPN uh, pass rush win rate is coming in good over 60%, uh, which is toward the tops of the league. They are dominating on the offensive line side of the ball. This Aaron Cromer scheme has been a huge advantage in year two, and we've heard about this. And Spencer Brown is finally healthy. This was something that I was told individually that he was playing very hurt last year, and because Quasenberry was terrible, they needed to utilize him for their best chance to win. And he was given this year to prove that he could be uh, a productive player 
from his rookie season. He's been really good, and he has been an upgrade. He is in the now ranked in the top 30 of all right tackles uh, and has been in the top 10 in run blocking. He cleared the entire side of the field for Josh Allen's touchdown run. Uh, he's been very good, and the guard play has been. And Mitch Morse is now playing at a better level, more efficient level, because his guards are playing better. Uh, and then Deion Dawkins, you know, we hear about Summer Deion all the time about, you know, he's not doing this. He got beat by TJY. This didn't have blah, blah, blah. One-on-one, he didn't win. Uh, only playing a top five tackle um, percentages right now across all metrics. So you have a situation to where number one in pass blocking rate, uh, their run blocking rate is increasingly strong. Uh, all the metrics combined, I do anticipate them being with SIS and win rate and PFF still being by computer cowboy. When we see that maybe tomorrow, I still anticipate the bills being one or two on that list. One of the teams that were above them were the dolphins and the bills took advantage of their offensive line. So I anticipate uh, the bills taking toward the top of the total ranking sheet. Um, but Mike, those are a lot of positives that were really the negatives going into August. Uh, and, and, you know, Ken Dorsey being the biggest one, a lot of people, you know, he's never Dable, you know, should we even replace, should we have, because we didn't trust Dorsey, people were asking to replace McDermott with Dable. Uh, because they were so worried about how bad the offense would be. Uh, but what's wrong with having a defensive genius? Yes, I need to see a, a master class. We saw it against New England but I, and Baltimore, but I need to see a master class against Joe Burrow if they make it and, um, and against Patrick Mahomes this season. And we'll see what he's able to do later on in the year, Mike. But as we look through all the narratives here in this situation uh, and all of them being attacked and targeted, uh, and completely saying um, he can't get it done. Um, you know, McDermott is certainly uh, achieving all of his goals, and this team is ticking on all cylinder, uh, cylinders, having the best defense that I've seen here, and they've had some good defenses, and we'll see if it's able to continue. But, Kevin, tell us about what you think of Sean McDermott and your opinion so far of all those narratives. Oh, my bad. I thought you were talking to Mike. Um yeah, so McDermott has been incredible this year. And like you were saying, we were saying, how is he going to balance being a head coach and a defensive play caller? But so far, he's been great. And like you said, it's not on the coaches for week one. That was mainly on Josh Allen. But the thing that I love about this defense is that they're not blitzing that much more than they were with Leslie Frazier. I think you said last week, Mike, that they actually blitzed more last year with Leslie Frazier, especially when Vaughn went out. But the difference here with McDermott is that he's more creative with it. So they might be bringing four, but sometimes they'll drop a defensive lineman back and sometimes a corner will be coming up or sometimes they'll rush with the linebacker. And they just have so many different players moving in different directions and they're moving so quickly that that's why I think Sean McDermott is having so much more success than Leslie Frazier. Now, I also need to say that this team is mainly healthy aside from losing Trey White and a couple of dings and bruises here and there. So that plays a big factor in it too. Then the third reason is they're winning their one-on-one -on -one matchups this year. So those three factors right there are the huge reason why this defense is so much more successful than it was last year. But I think Sean McDermott has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I, I can. One. And I agree. Sean does have a lot to do with it. And I don't know how you portion out the credit on this defense. I will say this though. We did see things early on last year where the, the defensive line was getting pressure uh, without blitzing early on last year. 
And once the injuries started piling up, that's when things really started to change. If I, if you ask me, what is the biggest difference on this defense now compared to what we saw a year ago uh, at this point? Because I, they are obviously playing even better than they were last year. And last year they were in the number two DVOA defense. Technically right now they're, I believe, the number two DVOA defense. So they're in the same spot that they were a year ago, even if it feels much better at this current point. But the reason why they're able to hold a team like the Dolphins uh, in check, the D-line is obviously playing incredible right now. Leonard Floyd is the big addition to that. But you're really seeing an elevated Ed Oliver. And Greg Rousseau has now solidified him as a top-tier defensive end. Greg Rousseau might not get the sack numbers that some of these premier edge rushers get, but he is so lengthy, so good against the run that – you add up everything, he's the complete defensive end. It's it's hard to find guys much better than Greg Rousseau at the end. But I really think what's really helping this defense execute the way it needs to is the fact that you have a linebacker that is in, as instinctive and athletic as a person like Terrell Bernard right now. You have two linebackers that are that are playing in sync with one another. Tremaine Edmonds was a good player. I stood up for him for many years when people would bash him. I don't think Tremaine Edmonds is a bad player. I know that he had a lot of haters uh, across Bill's Mafia. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tremaine, though, his problem was he had the build of what you wanted in a middle linebacker. He had the athleticism of what you wanted in a middle linebacker, but he never really quite had the instincts of what you wanted in a middle linebacker. And we're seeing take away a few inches, take away 20 pounds, but put that instincts in a guy, that makes a difference. Because Bernard has the athleticism. He's just a little bit smaller. And at the end of the day, the the size isn't making enough of a difference to be a deterrent in this play. And then having the a guy like Micah Hyde back, I, I think the back end of this defense is so much better than what we saw last year. When you, I'm not saying this to to bash anybody, but there's a big difference from playing with um, uh, with Demar Hamlin and an injured Jordan Poyer than when you have Micah Hyde fully healthy. And I know that uh, Poyer didn't play this past game, but you still have Taylor Rapp, who was a starting safety on on the Rams in the past. This defense is just all all around loaded, and then you add in a coach that knows how to utilize that talent who's now taking a role-playing, calling plays. It's just all around dangerous for opposing offenses in this league. Because I will say this, people like to always talk about how guys like McVay 
and uh, some of these offensive guys, um, uh, the Cincinnati head coach, and, and some of these other play callers uh, across the league are dynamic and how you need to have uh, these offensive uh, geniuses like McDaniel. Sean McDermott is every bit as good as any of those coaches, but on the, the defensive side of the ball. We just don't talk about defensive coaches. Sean McDermott is a defensive genius. He is one of the best defensive minds that the NFL has had the past 20 years. And I think now some people are finally starting to realize uh, Joe Banner, who was an NFL executive for many years, uh, tweeted re- earlier this week that the biggest mistake he made when he was in Cleveland was that the Browns didn't hire Sean McDermott and they ended up going with Hugh Jackson. They they had a vote. It was four to one for McDermott. His comment at the time, basically what he said was, McDermott is innovative. McDermott is open to ideas. He is willing to do what the numbers say are the best things for your team to have success. So think about that. That's all stuff that we're always talking about offensive coaches, going forward on fourth down, being pass heavy, uh, being aggressive. Well, Sean McDermott is that way as well, except for he looks at it from a defensive point of view and how to attack opposing offenses. He knows what the best offenses in the league are doing, and he takes a metric-based approach to stopping it. So in my opinion, I've been saying this all year. I know that there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with me. I think Sean McDermott is a top five head coach in all of football. If you take away resumes where you're looking at uh, Super Bowls, people that have been in the league for 20 years, if you just told me 32 coaches who are the top five most knowledgeable slash uh, leaders uh, slash just overall winners in football, he's a top five head coach in football in my opinion. Well, there you have it. And one final point to bring up for how well the Bills are playing right now as you can see from our tiers ranking list, we see it from uh, from week three to start with. You can see they're like around 0. 0.18, 0.17 uh, offensive EPA per play. Um, and then on the defensive side, about 0. 0.22, 0. 0.23 there. Uh, and they actually got better uh, on an offensive side, decreased just a little bit just because they were playing that high-powered Miami offense. But look at what they were able to do with – uh, with with Miami's defense, they pulled them from a zero to a negative 0.1 just in one game alone. Uh, so they were able to really uh, cause some havoc against that Miami team to catapult them toward the top of the rankings list. Uh, the top, you know, the the right, the top right of is where you want to be. So uh, as you can see here, the Bills are dominating on both sides of the ball right now to the tune of really only them in San Francisco are kind of in a world of their own. Dallas. Uh, KC right there uh, uh, nipping on their heels. So uh, you can see some really solid, solid play uh, so far from this this roster and advanced analytics everywhere. Mike's talks about DVOA, EPA is there for the Bills. Uh, there's just many metrics. Sis likes the Bills. There's just many metrics right now that are breaking down uh, exactly how, uh, how it should be. But want to get into some more information uh, just here in a moment, but we're going to hear from Greg and Aaron about one pass. Many people ask us the best way to support us here at Cover One, and that is to sign up to become a Cover One One Pass member. That contribution helps give us the access to all the data and information we use to create the content that you love. 
and I think most importantly brings you into our community of insiders. It's a great community based on Slack. I know a lot of people don't want to be on social media anymore, be in on those conversations. We bring all of it to you right in our great community of educated fans. And most importantly, you get access to our content creators. Even better than that, everybody loves merch. You get awesome t-shirts, a cool decal, and a letter from the Cover One team signed directly to you. All for $60. That gets you the entire season, next year's free agency and draft. 60 bucks. Click the link in the description. Cover One Insider. Become one today. There we have it, but it's somewhat of a special time, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. A lot of Bills fans will be traveling there, so that'll that'll be a fun one. And it'll catapult. We, we, we heard about this Jags team all offseason about how they, in a weak division, how they're going to be the one seed, how them versus the KC game is for the one seed. Uh, now they're sitting two and two, and that was a pretty – Bad loss to Houston, not because Houston stinks, but because it really does knock them down a peg to show you that they're pretty even with the rest of the two and two of the AFC South. Even if they are able to come out of that division, I still think that's the four seed uh, in this in this playoff experience. And maybe there's a second team out of there, but I would doubt it. I would think whoever comes out of here is the four seed uh, in the playoff situation. So we're. Uh, we'll see. And the Bills can really put a commanding position lead on all of these teams by taking a W out of this one, uh, putting themselves into a good situation to where there are many games up. They get to play Cincinnati later in the year. If they can take care of that, they have a lot of tiebreakers on their side uh, in any tiebreaker situation for the one seed. And maybe this is the year the Bills KC game is finally for the one seed later on in the year. But the Bills need to take care of business in a pesky team that always gets after Josh Allen. But look, that was a one game. Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator. They had a different coaching staff. There's no correlation to maybe point to Robert Sala being able to slow down Josh Allen and his talented defensive line, linebacking core, and corners. Uh, It's just not the same in Jacksonville being able to get that done uh, more than on a one-game basis two years ago. Uh, So I'd like to see that go away and this this Jags defense is nowhere near th- those Jags teams of the past were always coming off of those good defenses the Bills saw it in the playoffs they were kind of always catapulted into those they they kind of inherited a good defensive roster and they've kind of ha- had to overhaul that three sacks by people not named Josh Allen total uh for the Jags defense it's just not going to be good enough the first overall pick they could have missed on maybe he develops into an okay player but that's just not what you're looking for from the one spot but guys what happens at corner two? I have to ask each of you today. We go in Dane Jackson. We know Kyrie Lim will be active now. We don't have to talk about that any longer. <laughs> but who's going to play? I don't think we see a rotation. We haven't seen a rotation anywhere on the field. Uh, so I don't believe you'll see a rotation. Do you want a replacement level guy coming in? Do you want to trade? You know, there's been names tossed around. Adoree Jackson from New York could be a trade candidate. There's been a couple of other situations pop up. Do you trust the Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam situation? We're going to start with Kevin here on his opinion. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit less, a little bit more, excuse me. We talked about Vaughn a little bit early. Wanted to get all, all three of our opinion on record on that situation. Uh, and then we'll get score prediction. So Kevin, start us off here with what you want to do now after the devastating injury that did have its toll last week's win. Uh, getting rid of uh, Trey, uh, Trey White is not going to be able to play this season with a torn and ruptured Achilles. With the new bracing technology, we're hoping that that's only a four to five month thing. Aaron Rodgers thinks he's going to play this year. I would assume he looks into that technology and and maybe considers going to Aaron Rodgers' doctor, a well-known orthopedic surgeon. Um, so 
I do think you could see him next year, but we'll save that for a different show. Kevin, tell us about what you think happens at the corner two spot. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say that this just really, really sucks for Trey White and Tommy Doyle, too. I mean, these are two guys yes. that have suffered back-to-back season-ending injuries. So really just feel for those guys, and I'm hoping and praying that they're going to come back quickly and will be on the field healthy next year because, like Sean McDermott said, it, it just doesn't seem right sometimes. Like, what did these guys do to deserve it? And Trey and Tommy, for that matter, worked their butts off all offseason to get back to the point that they were playing at, and Trey was just starting to come back into form. He had that strong game against the Commanders, and then he looked pretty good on Sunday, and then just out of nowhere, his Achilles blows. So that blows in itself. So again, just hoping that they can recover quickly. But as for what I think that what the Bills will do moving forward, I think it's going to be Benford and Dane. Now, based on our conversation last week, I want to see more of Kyer Elam, but I think basically what they're going to do is they're basically just going to move everyone up the chain. So Christian Benford is CB1 now, Dane is CB2, and then Elam is the first backup off the bench. And then I really don't think they're going to go outside the organization. So I would feel like they're just going to do something like elevating Jamarcus Ingram or a smaller type of move like that. Mike, I'm assuming you agree. What is your what is your opinion? And then I'll get into mine uh, with with my transition there. Yeah, I'm not going to have to slam my head on the, the table this week. Uh, just joking uh, based on last week. Uh, but yeah, I... I believe that's the way it will start out. Dane Jackson will start opposite of Christian Benford, and he will get the first crack at at earning the job, the opportunity. Now, if Dane uh, doesn't perform well, if he struggles, Kyrie absolutely will get the chance to win over uh, the second corner spot if Dane uh, doesn't perform to expectations. The way I look at this is I'm okay with either guy being the second corner. I think with Dane, you look at someone that is more consistent, that the coaching staff feels that they can rely on, that he'll be in the right spot, but they don't necessarily feel like he has the highest ceiling in the world. So you'll get a solid, uh, you'll get solid production, but you're never going to get that high end uh, play that you can get out of a Trey White. Uh, with Kyrie, you might have moments and flashes of greatness, but there's fears that you're also going to have moments of ineptitude or bad mistakes that could cost this defense uh, pass interference down the field because you're tugging a little bit too much jersey or missing a, a tackle and run support those are mistakes that can be costly and those are actually reasons why Kyrie Elam has been lower on this depth chart overall is you guys asked my opinion last week should Kyrie be active should he see the field and what I said last week was essentially the Bills coaching staff has more faith than the guys ahead of him uh, in the in the depth chart. And, and Greg Thompson kind of added to it in an even better way. Uh, he, he mentioned you want continuity. The Bills defense is not always the best athletes. It's guys that are playing their role and, and in the right spots doing the right things. So there's a lot of faith that everybody is doing their job. And I think once the Bills coaching staff has complete faith that Kyir Elam with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'll be in the right spots at the right times and be able to make those plays consistently. I think he will then take over at cornerback too. And I think that could be even some point in the next few weeks, potentially. But the, it'll be Dane to start out. Jamarcus Ingram, I could see getting elevated um, at some point, potentially, uh, depending on the injury situations on, on the squad. And uh, beyond that, I don't really think there's a move from the outside. I don't think there's going to be a, a trade or a free agent. Maybe someone can get added to the practice squad, but I don't think anything major that will impact uh, the roster. And I do have one thing I want to say about Trey White first. I've seen a lot of Bills fans on social media saying stuff like this could be it for Trey. We might never see Trey White uh, in a Bills jersey again. I think it's way too premature for any speculation like that uh, regarding Trey White. An Achilles injury is awful. Um, It it, it sucks. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. But 70% of people that suffer an Achilles injury in the NFL come back to play. Now, I know he's older. He's not, he's not 22, 23, 24, but he's also not 32, 33, 34. Trey's in his late 20s. He is not ancient by NFL standards. And we're all optimistic that Von Miller is going to come back from a second major uh, ACL injury and still produce as a 34-year-old. Yet we're doubting, not us specifically, but some fans are doubting whether Trey can come back from an Achilles at the age of 28. So, the medicine is improved. The time, the recovery time has been um, shortened over recent years. I think we will see Trey back on the field with the Bills. The question, the, the only question I have is from a Trey White mental perspective, does he want to uh, come back after everything? Does he still want to continue playing football? As long as that answer is yes, I want to continue playing football, I see no reason for him not to be part of this team moving forward, especially when there's a dead cap hit that will impact the Bills if they get rid of him during the offseason. So if Trey wants to continue playing football, he's going to be part of this team uh, going forward. But uh, like I said, obviously devastating. It sucks that he went through everything that he went through only to then get hurt four games into this season when he was finally starting to produce closer to the level that we had come to expect out of him uh, earlier in his career. I think he plays next year. I think it's not going to be as devastating as the ACL. I think what the, the advantages of the Neil at Atrash's um, uh, bridging technology, uh, one of the best orthopedic surgeon, he brought uh, Cam Akers back in six months and now talking to Rogers about four months. I think you see him again. We'll talk about that later on and in future shows, but I do believe you will see him again. And great point about this was how I was going to wrap this segment up. Elam and Jackson um, could be the starting combination. So I'm going to disagree with both of you. I think that a full strength Elam is going to get the go this week. Um, I think he would have played last week. He wasn't active. 
Uh, so the situation that I was looking for was having him active for that exact situation. Luckily, the Bills are up, and, and, and um, the last thing that White was able to do this season was lock downhill for a majority through two and a half quarters. I uh, was able to get that done and to get the Bills in a great position. And the loss on the field, now Mike talked a little bit about the loss off the field and if he's going to come back, but the loss on the field still huge. Yes, he struggled a little bit against the run. Everyone's saying, well, we're not going to lose anything on the tackling or the run defense front. And that's right. Analytically, that is correct. I do agree that they will not lose anything there. But this coverage grade was top 20 in the league. He was playing corner one level. He was rising uh, to be in the top echelon of corners in coverage. And that's what you have him for, to cover the best receivers, not necessarily to stop Josh Jacobs or Travis Etienne. That is his job. Hopefully the scheme can help him out in run defense. But his job is to be in the right place. And he's a zone merchant. He does exactly what he's supposed to, and hence where the Bills have been able to be, as he has been one of the first players to develop underneath Sean McDermott. I think you see him next year. I think he'll have enough encouragement, and I do think that that injury will be rehabbed enough for him to be full strength next August. But I do think you'll see a healthy Kyrie Elam and a healthy Dane Jackson. I think Christian Benford might be an emergency option, and they might elevate Ingram, but I don't know that he would have gone back in that game had a healthy Kyrie Elam been active. Uh, the difference between that, their their race earlier this year might be pro-Benford, but the injury and the limitations might bring, like, hey, maybe this is the game for Kyrie Elam in this game. And one thing I do want to add about Kyrie Elam, I was told from people that do know him personally that, and, and this is going to sound obvious what I'm about to say, but the Bills coaching staff brought him in uh, on Monday after – the Trey White injury, and and they told him, "We need you now. Like you, you, we we invested in you. I I know you haven't been seeing the field yet. I know you've been inactive, but this is your opportunity. This is your chance to show what you are as a player." The Bills coaching staff has told Kyrie, "We're gonna we're gonna depend on you down this stretch. So this is yep. your your time to shine." And uh, from those that I am in contact with that that know Kyrie well. Uh, what he has been telling people is delayed but determined. Basically saying, yes, I haven't gotten my opportunity yet, but when I'm out there, you guys are going to see why I was drafted in the first round and why I still believe I'm one of the, the top young talents uh, in the NFL deserving of this chance. Yeah, and two and a half more seasons of Kyrie Elam, I still think – who you like aside, I still think you give it to him and for him to develop and take the lumps. And even if there's an out of, of place, I think it'll be huge for the future of this team. And I, I'm not necessarily saying that you wouldn't see lumps from Dane Jackson anyways uh, throughout the season. Whether he's close or a tick above right now, I do think that there's some value in seeing him. If he struggles, please then go to Dane if you have to. But I would kind of do it reverse to where I want him to get his start, even if it's for Benford to start with and then not be able to take him out of the lineup if he plays well. And I think that's how it gets it done because Benford then's going to rehab. He's going to be back. And then it's seamless. Oh, you're not going to take Kyrie out. I think the bills have a perfect baked in situation here to run out Benford and Kyrie uh, sooner rather than later. And this could be the way they do it by sitting Benford first. So we'll have to monitor the injury situation and maybe not, maybe Benford rehabs fine and he's playing, but that's my prediction is you see a Benford Kyrie Kyrie plays well enough to keep the job. Benford comes back in for Dane. That is my bold prediction of the day. Um, but my roster spot, where's it going to go? Someone's going to get that roster spot. I think you can survive calling up Ingram for a few weeks if you need him. And if Benford's out, 
then you call up Ingram for his his max allocation of, of practice squad call-ups before you make a roster decision, uh, sending him back through waivers and everything else. So I think that you call him up if needed uh, and not just elevate him to the roster. You need a spot for uh, Von Miller, whether it's this week or next. I do believe you'll see him week six. You know, there's been much talk about week nine, week 10, week 11 for Von Miller. I think he takes this roster spot vacated by Trey White. It is a, situ- a good situation for Brandon Bean to where he doesn't need to waive anybody now. At least this week, he can take the roster spot and make him inactive, and you can call up somebody um, from the practice squad if he isn't going to play. You need to have inactives anyways. So I think that you see him come off the pup, whether he plays or not, not sure yet. But Von Miller just said today, guys, he if he was a betting man, he would, he would bet that he plays. And I think there's something to that because the way they got around putting him on the four weeks, because Von said he was ready week one and he was cleared, was, hey, take four, rest it, rehab it, take the extra four already. Um, and then week five, we will, we will anticipate you bringing you on sooner rather than later. And I think that's how they got him to buy into the four week pup list, uh, rather than him being at least on the active roster playing week two, week three. Uh, so I think I see him and that's the way they can stash Kingsley Jonathan. They don't need to make another roster move. You could just make Kingsley inactive. Uh, so I think that roster development wise, I think he plays, but the clock started. He cannot play week eight or week nine or week 10. Now it is a 21 day window from right now. Uh, missing so he could miss week five week six and week seven but he has to play week eight or he's done for the year so it's no longer nine ten thanksgiving it is now now six seven i think that or they they can take the max and take him to eight uh but they have to activate him on the roster they have a roster spot now i think you see von miller activated whether he plays not sure yet but i'm still 50 50 um and i think that von is telling people he's playing from what i've heard he is telling other players that he's playing whether he does or not remains to be seen and we cannot know until this padded practice tomorrow so that's my opinion mike we've already heard yours a little bit kevin what do you think about von miller taking over for that vacated trey white roster spot um and not really needing to finagle the roster now and you can call up a corner from the practice squad if needed I think Von Miller is probably the most optimistic person I've ever seen. So I do not buy into him playing this Sunday. I think the more logical explanation here for the Bills is, hey, with all the travel accommodations and the different logistics, short practice week, whatever have you, we're going to sit you out one more week, and then you're going to return on Sunday night football back home against the Giants in Orchard Park. That's how I see it. I don't see it stretching past week six. I just don't think that they would – quote unquote, rush him to play on Sunday. And I know it wouldn't be necessarily rushing him because like you said, they already gave him these four weeks and technically by week five, he should be ready. But just knowing how the bills operate, I see them saying, you know what, let's just, we're going to have you practice this week. Maybe he travels with them. I would think he would travel with them, right? But either way, I just don't see him getting a uniform on Sunday and instead getting that uniform on Sunday night football. Yeah, what's going to be interesting about all of this is Von even said in his video uh, during his podcast that he is only going to have one contact practice before uh, they have to make the decision of him going to London or not. So there's not going to be a lot of uh, opportunity for him to really go out there and show that he's ready to go or not. Uh, he, he's basically going to have to show in that one practice that he is he's ready. Uh, he, he mentioned in the video, I, I got one day this week to show that uh, I, I'm good to go on, 
on Sunday, and then they're going to make a decision based on that day. So hearing that after rehabbing for all these months, missing our, all this time, I have to believe that the Bills would probably lean towards him not playing in this game on Sunday. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow they do have him, but I'm going to lean with you, Syracuse, uh, that he'll probably be inactive this week and saving him for Sunday night at home. Now, if this game was in, in Buffalo, if this was a normal week where you're not making an inter- international trip to London, I think he would probably go. I, I would be with you, Kevin. Uh, I, I would probably assume he'd be playing. But the whole London aspect of this and the lack of a normal game week preparation is the reason why I'm going to say probably doesn't suit up on Sunday. Yeah, we'll see what Brady says. Sorry, not to cut you off, Kevin, but Vaughn said he was playing last December 6th against the Jets. So that's how optimistic he was. And now we're, what, October 3rd, and he still hasn't been in a game yet. So I just see it as week six. Yeah, the one difference to that scenario is, by all accounts, he would have. They went in to clean up a meniscus and found an ACL, which wasn't predicted. In fairness to him, that was him taking medical advice. That wasn't him just, you know, going off the cuff saying they were going to sign OBJ. That was him actually probably taking medical advice, and they did not anticipate a fully torn ACL. And I think even Schefter and others were saying that he was uh, expected to return uh, after the cleanup procedure, and they just happen to find uh, an ACL in there. Not sure how that happens, and you miss that. Not sure the exact dynamics of the anatomy of being able to not see that anywhere else, but maybe the, the meniscus cleanup was in the way, I'm going to assume. So that's what you saw on imaging and, and, and during field tests. Uh, you know, there's some pretty easy ways to tell, but that must have been fooled based on some of that. So that one, I'm giving him a pass. He's very optimistic when it came to Hop and OBJ. Um he was wrong there. He was very optimistic he'd play, but I still think there's some element of Bean telling him, like, look, we're going to shut you down for four. Bean said it himself, and this is an under-talked-about press conference. I encourage everybody to watch his end of the uh, preseason presser when he went up for talking about the cuts and everybody else and Bernard. I don't know if he even talked about Bernard yet, but uh, everything else in that end of, like, around September 1st, uh, he said, reporters asked him many times, like, when do you anticipate Vaughn? He said week five. Don't hold him to it, but he said that is the most likely plan. Um, that he's figuring. So there was some talks there that I think that, Hey, if you give, you get to take your four, give us a roster spot for a little while. Let's see what happens here with other injuries. I don't know. I think he's going to the active roster. That's my prediction with the availability, with the position due to Trey white, whether he plays, I can't fully buy into that side of it yet. Um, but I do think you see him and I don't think he travels uh, without being on the active roster due to uh, it's a long flight. There's a, it, there's that whole theory on um, not traveling. If you're injured, and the flare-ups. I don't think he travels out there unless he's playing. Could be wrong. We'll see if he gets placed on the active roster uh, at all. They have an open position. The likelihood he plays goes significantly down to me if you hear like they signed Ingram tomorrow or Thursday or Friday. Then to me, uh, it goes down a little bit more because they're not then going to wave somebody through waivers, in my opinion. Uh, But even though they're going to have to do that very soon, um, that they can't protect these guys forever. So we'll see. I think there's some tells here early on. And I'm just reading the tea leaves from what I've been, what I've heard, and then as well as what I think Bean said in his press conference himself. Though I cannot predict how he comes out tomorrow, if he's tired and sore and this and that, no chance. But if he's feeling good and the doctors say he's feeling good, I think there's still a chance he plays and definitely a chance he's at least on the roster and inactive. So we'll see how that all plays out. 
but it's time for score predictions. It's on the 830 hour. We have Ant coming up on disguise coverage here in a half an hour. So we're going to get you out of get out of here. Please smash the like button. Their score predictions are always brought to you by Sons of Erie, www.sonsoferie.com. We had a close score prediction uh, selected today uh, by Justin from the Believe Network. Uh, so we're going to do our normal procedure. Uh, Mike, three and one. Kevin, four and oh. Me, three and one. Going to go around the same way we always go around. Going to bounce it off to Kevin. We got a slight win for Justin already uh, for the Bills in a close game. Mike, lead us off. Yeah, so I'm I'm battling between two scores in my head right now. What I think it should be, then what Vegas and the odds are making me lean towards. So my head says this is a 31 to 20 win for the Bills. Uh, the metrics are all in the Bills' favor. Uh, the Jaguars' defense is average. Their offense right now is pretty average. Trevor Lawrence is playing very well, but it doesn't seem like many others on their offense are playing up to his level. That's why I would say 31 to to 20. But my fear is that there might be something to playing in London, adapting to uh, the travel, the time, uh, the stuff that, that how that impacts you and your body. The line is five and a half right now, uh, which would tell me after a dominant win over the dolphins, after dominant wins over uh, Las Vegas and Washington, you think most most of the money and most of the bets are going to go on Buffalo to easily cover that, which tells me it's a trap by Vegas, and they think it's going to be under that five and a half. So I'm going to go 27-22. I know that's a wonky score. There's no logic. How does a team score 22 points? I don't know how they're going to get there. Maybe they get a two-point conversion at some point. But I'm going to go Bills 27-22. I think they're going to win it, and I think they're going to play well, and maybe it'll even be comfortable. But the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to get a late touchdown to to end up making it a, a one-score game when it's all said and done. Okay. Very interesting score prediction with a two-point conversion in there. Kevin, what do you got for us? Yeah, I, I was just reading the comments, and RJ said, I have this weird feeling it's going to be one of those gross Jags games. And I agree. I said this earlier. I feel like the Bills should dominate. I feel like it should be 42-17. to 17, But just like you guys said, based on the logistics and the travel – and maybe being jet lagged and just the fact that Jacksonville always has the answer to slow down this Bills team for whatever reason even going back to 2017 with Tyrod I think it's going to be a lot closer I think like you were saying Mike the Bills will still have control but the Jags are just going to be pesky and they're going to hang around and it's going to be one of those close 27-20 games but either way I have the Bills moving to 4 and 1 27 to 20. There you go. So I have been sticking at this. I do believe it's going to be a sleepy morning for them in theory, guys, two 30, uh, five hours. It's going to be nine 30 AM their time. Like us, we're watching the game. That's what they've been used. That's what they're going to be playing as, as it's nine 30, um, not necessarily two 30. So I think it starts off sleepy um, coming off this emotional win. It's a week to week league in this game. Uh, so I do think that there's some things there. Will the Bills be able to, uh, to, to, to pursue jo- the other Josh Allen? I think they'll have a plan for him. Uh, in this specific game, I got the Bills 27 17. Um, that's what I've been sticking to all week. Uh, Mike almost came down to my score. I was worried there for a minute he would he would get there, but his 22 at least got in the way. But I agree with him on offense. I've been sticking at 27 this entire week. Um, and 17 jumps out to me, but I, I wouldn't be shocked by anywhere from 27 20. Um, so we're all about in the same 
uh, ballpark there with our score predictions. I think it's kind of reversed where the Bills get a uh, a field goal late to go up two scores and put kind of put it away uh, in the game. That's kind of my prediction. I think they run the ball particularly well here uh, against the Jags. Uh, that's been that's going to be my my prediction, and they're going to stop the run uh, as well, uh, leading everything on to to Trevor Lawrence. And I think that what they're going to do is they're going to want to take away the run, make them one dimensional, and help out. Uh, Kyrie Elam or uh, Dane Jackson in coverage if needed. So we'll see who's on the field for this this specific game uh, in this. But I, I think that the Bills have the makings to take this away, and it's a big game. And I think that they'll treat it as such going to London. We're all predicting that they don't, um, that it's going to be sleepy, and they're going to the Jags are going to get the best of them. But they're going to display internationally, and they want the one seed. Like period, they've already lost their Mulligan game. They can't have another one here. Uh, this is a situation to where they take this game and they're in really good tiebreaker situations uh, and then they get to come home against the Giants. I think that they're awake for this. So we'll have to see, uh, but we all have a Bills victory. Final segment of the day, takeaways for this game. Kevin, give us your quick takeaways uh, as we uh, approach the end of the show. Well, this is something that I've been thinking about all off season, the beginning of this season, and especially as we're listening to Justin talk about the game plan for this game against the Jaguars. And that is utilizing play action and Josh Allen under center, because have you guys seen the stats that have come out with Josh Allen in play action this year? Yes. Let me pull up the banner here. 27 to 33, 451 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions and a perfect passer rating of 158.3. So this is something that I have been clamoring for that the Bills do because there are so many benefits of running play action. So first with the quarterback, when you have someone like Josh Allen, that is perfect for a dual threat quarterback because he can use his arm or he can use his legs. And we know how lethal he is with both ways. But the third part of his body that I think goes under the radar is his vision, his eyes. Because when you're under center, you can scan the field and you can see what the defense is doing. When you're in shotgun, you have to take that split second and look at the ball to make sure that you're securing it in your hands. So between his arm, his legs, and his eyes, this just helps Josh so much more. And then with Stephon Diggs, or any wide receiver for that matter, but let's go with Diggs because Allen and Diggs have been firing this year. It gives Diggs more time to run his routes down the field. And when you have a guy like Stephon Diggs, who his main attribute is his route running, that is just dangerous right there. So now you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, but then you also have the offensive line because they don't have to hold their blocks as long as they would if Josh was staying in the pocket. So Josh is running out. Let's just say he rolls to his right. The offensive line doesn't have to perform as, as best as they would have to with him in the pocket. And also you normally have one or We've been seeing the Bills run a lot of 12 personnel. Maybe you have two tight ends to help block. So there are just so many different reasons why the Bills should be running play action. And I really want to see them do that. Maybe they roll him right. Let's say Josh Allen lines up on his left. Maybe you roll Allen right. And that could be another game plan to slow down this Jaguars defense. They've certainly I, been playing playing well. Shut down Josh Allen is the strategy there for the Bills on offense uh, and to help Spencer Brown out again like they did Max Crosby. Mike, give us your final 60-second uh, final segment. Yep, I'll be really quick with this. Uh, to add to what Kevin was saying, if you talk about the Bills and Josh Allen 
uh, under center passing their first in EPA at 19.84, Minnesota's second at 7.67, first in positive play percentage at 75%, first in QB rating at 152.1, second in completion percentage at 80%, first in yards per attempt at 16.4, zero sacks, zero interceptions, their lowest pressure percentage at 15.8%. So Bill's uh, passing metrics under center have been incredible. Last point I'm going to say, if you look at the Super Bowl odds, Bills are now fourth overall at plus 700. There's five teams uh, that make up the tier one teams. Uh, everything is pointing metric-wise to the Bills being one of the elite in football. So after all the talk, all of the, the craziness that we've gone through the last six, seven months, we're back to where we're used to being. The Bills are one of the best teams in football, and we're going to have a fun season and a fun ride ahead of us. There you go. All the analytics are in the Bills favor that's my final takeaway check the numbers we'll be tweeting them all week from cover one we have uh this size coverage coming up now uh here on the cover one network but all the numbers are in their favor epas dvoas everything you want we'll talk about that and more we'll recap this game and we'll look forward to the brian dayball fest uh next week tuesday seven o'clock right in the show maybe have a special giants guest for you as well but from kevin mike and kevin this is the going deep podcast on the cover one sports network and we're looking forward to seeing everybody and this show is brought to you by sons of erie see you next week yeah we're here with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.